Tonight on This is Vinyl Tap, a marauding preacher on the lamb. Proper horse etiquette. And a partner Sweet named Trigger. Call my name. And I couldn't believe it was true, oh Lord. I couldn't believe it was true. And my eyes filled with tears. And I must have aged ten years. And I couldn't believe it was true. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. We're going to be looking at an album tonight by Willie Nelson, considered by many to be perhaps his classic album and one of the most classic albums in country music history. His 1975 album, Redheaded Stranger. And this is his first album for Columbia Records. And the stipulation for this album was that he get to have total creative control for it. It was actually recorded in a small studio in Garland, Texas. Um, it was a brand new studio, very small studio, one without all the lavish recording equipment that was found in the Nashville studios he'd been recording in up until that time. Uh, he had a brief stint at Atlantic Records where he was recording with uh, Jerry Wexler. And it was a little bit more homey than that. But this was, Willie was known primarily as a songwriter at this point, And a lot of his songs were being covered. And this was sort of the first album where Willie started playing other people's songs and where he kind of took a very different direction. Uh, other country artists were exploring at this time with the Chet Atkins sound, the Nashville sound. It's very much a departure from, not just for Willie, but for country music in general. But yeah, when he was with Atlantic, he, um, you know, there's a funny story about how he got signed uh, by Jerry Wexler. He, he had just, uh, he, RCA wanted him to, you know, toe the line and do all this orchestral stuff and uh, follow the Nashville sound. And he was sick of it. And his um, manager at the time supposedly negotiated a deal where RCA had evidently overpaid him 1400 bucks. And Willie, as long as Willie paid that back, they'd let him out of his contract. So he's out of his contract. He comes and he hangs out in Austin for a little while, got dove straight into the hippie scene, started playing at the Armadillo World Headquarters, started getting that kind of that scene going on. The crowd started loving him. He goes up to Nashville and he's hanging out in Harlan Howard's house, who he was on Pamper. It was a Pamper Music. Wasn't that the name of the, the publishing company they were both on, I think? Um, and uh, and he's hanging out at Harlan Howard's house at a party. And as the party starts, this is a story. This is what I, I read and heard. As the story, so, uh, this party starts to thin out, Jerry Wexler is hanging out and he was 
um, in charge of uh, Atlanta's, um, I think he was a VP or something like that. And he was interested in starting an Atlantic country, uh, a, a country division for Atlantic Records. They didn't have one. They were an R&B uh, label for the most part, as well as some other things. I mean, Jerry Wexler signed Zeppelin. He worked with Dylan and 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 Dr. John and some other people. But um, Willie started playing and Wexler flipped out, according to Harlan Howard, absolutely flipped out. Um, wanted to sign him, and uh, and Willie was the very first country music artist that Atlantic ever signed, and was the beginning, yeah, the beginning of their their country music division in Nashville. They signed him for twenty five thousand dollars, which is roughly around one one forty, hundred forty, hundred fifty thousand dollars today, um, and uh, it was the start of that division in Nashville, um, which ended before Redheaded Stranger. I mean, it only lasted a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but he did two albums there where he had artistic control, not to the extent that he did on this one, but it was sort of, if that hadn't happened, if Jerry, if he hadn't met Jerry Wexler, if Jerry Wexler didn't believe that this guy was something, I mean, to sign him as the first country artist and get him going and give him, he was, Jerry Wexler was actually excited about the idea of him using his own band. Um, yeah. If that didn't happen, there would be no redheaded stranger, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and Willie had the fortitude to just kind of say, you know, the hell with it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> This is I'm gonna make this album, and I heard he didn't when he went into the studio. He didn't exactly know what how the album was gonna sound. He just went in there, and he uh, was supposed to be recording demos, or Columbia thought he was gonna be recording a demo, <laughs> and he heard it and just said, "Nope, this is great. I'm not going to. This is this is the album. This isn't well, a demo." Well, Columbia thought Redheaded Stranger was a demo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but Bill Sherrill, you know, guys know who Bill Sherrill is. Yeah. He was, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. He he didn't even want them to sign uh, Willie. He didn't want Columbia to sign Willie because he, according to him, he what he's he wasn't a quote Nashville guy, and he yeah. didn't think it'd work out. And there's this great clip of him on that Ken Burns documentary about country music where Bill yeah. Bill, Bill Sherrill's talking about how. You know, we heard this and th- we heard this redheaded stranger and it just sounded like it just sounded like a bunch of crappy demos. And and he goes and no one wanted to release it. But I told Columbia, go ahead and put it out, because when it flops, then we'll have Willie right where we want him and we can talk him <laughs> into back to it. And then it, of course, didn't flop. And he's like, boy, were we wrong about that? You know, but it's, that's yeah. one of those stories that if true is kind of great, you know. Yeah. Another thing I want to say about this album, this is like the ultimate campfire album i think that's one of the things that gives us its charm like you can almost sing every one of these songs just with a guitar around a campfire none of the chords are all that difficult and you can just imagine people singing around along on the chorus almost everybody knows the choruses i think that's one of the things that just lends it its charm i mean this is a, a very charming album well, that makes sense if you think about supposedly the the history. There's a longer history to the whole redheaded stranger thing. Willie was a DJ in Fort Worth, yeah. and he did he did mid, the midday, a thirty minute midday show. I mean, what is that, right? And evidently, nap time. Yeah, that's what it was. And he would play this for the kid. He would play the red. You know, he'd play this song, "Tale of the Redheaded Stranger," for the kids. And if you li- ever listen to the original version of it. Black stallion and loping behind was a bay. The red-headed stranger had eyes like the thunder, lips that were sad and tight. His little lost love was asleep on the hillside. His heart it was heavy as night. Don't um, cross him, 
it's you know it sounds like one of those old songs that you would you would it sounds almost like a kiddie song i mean told told from willie nelson's point of view in this album it's much it's got a much kind of deeper sound feeling to yeah. it but when you listen to the original it sounds like it could be something you're sitting around the campfire singing along and it's just yeah. the tale of this guy who's kind of trigger happy about some woman who touches his tries to steal his horse you know um, <laughs> so then that i heard that his wife at the time they were on a ski trip and he was wondering she was he was wondering what he was going to do for the first columbia album and his wife said well why don't you just you know you sing that song about the redheaded stranger to your kids and i've heard you sing it on your radio show why don't you build something around that i'd heard that too which this was what second or third wife we're talking uh, about who knows <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what, Willie, Willie says you uh, you never get rid of wives or children. You just collect them. Yeah. <laughs> well, you would know. Um, the uh, uh, JM, thanks for that insightful question. Uh, JM's interviewing <laughs> me tonight. <laughs> this is uh, this is unlike any other album that we've ever talked about in my perspective because. I feel like we're reviewing the wallpaper on the in the bathroom of the house I grew up in. It's uh, that intimate. I I can remember my dad came home with a brand new stereo about this year, 1975. Uh, the funny thing is, I just took his Marantz amplifier. I just picked it up today after getting it refurbished so it could uh, take wow. me to to uh, the end of my life. Um, but the song that was playing in my house when I was a kid over and over and over again was, uh, redheaded stranger. And my, um, my dad did not spend much time with music. He was too busy trying to make a living, but, uh, this album, my dad was redheaded. So <laughs> that was part of it. But this album just took over his imagination and, uh, he actually took me to go see Willie at some park in Austin uh, right about the time this album came out. If you grow up in this town, there's there's two men you hear about your whole life, Daryl Royal and Willie Nelson. <laughs> and uh, you're not allowed to dislike or disrespect either one of them. Second yeah. Street is now called Willie Nelson Boulevard in, in Austin. Uh, you know, the, the streets in Austin used to be uh, named after trees and then now they're being named after people and uh, willie nelson is one of the few people that's had a, a street named after him and uh, you always uh he's one of those guys I, I bet jm can't remember how many times he's seen him but it's one of those guys here in central texas that you've seen a number of times probably the best show i've ever seen in my life was his fourth of july picnic when it rained about a thousand inches and there was knee deep mud and a lot of people cleared out. So I was able to be on the front row with my elbow on the stage and watch all <laughs> of the highway men, Willie wow. Nelson, uh, Johnny Cash, uh, Waylon Jennings and Chris Christopherson. They were all there. Neil Young was there. Um, I, I can't remember all the people that were there at that, that show that was pretty much rained out and, um, but I've had a lot of a lot of uh, experiences with Willie Nelson concerts. the The thing about this album is, 
there's not anything like this no. that I can think of. And no. we we say that a lot in this podcast. And that's not because it's a track phrase we use over again. It's because we're attracted to albums that came out of nowhere and did something yeah. brand new. And this album definitely did that. It is yeah. it's not only a concept album or an album that that tells a story, but it's more unique than that because he takes a lot of songs that were written and puts them together to form the story rather than something like Tommy, uh, where the where Pete Townsend yeah. writes the entire okay. album to make the story. So uh, what, I, I just want to add to that because I'm I'm a fan of a lot of prog progressive rock bands and they're big on concept albums. Um, and you mentioned Tommy, another album, concept album, you know, that's pretty well known as The Wall. Um, none of those albums where someone actually physically sat down and came up with a story are as cohesive as this one that Willie yep. did, where he's pulling songs from various aspects of the country music catalog and weaving them into a story. This story makes sense in a way that something like The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway does not, or The Wall. I mean, I love those albums, but those stories are bizarre, weird. They don't make any sense. This is something you can relate to. Yeah. Well, and I mean, how many of us haven't shot a woman for trying to steal our horse? I mean, <laughs> it really hits close to home. So one of the last things I want to say about this album is I don't really think of it as a classic country album. I put it much more in the realm of uh, the quiet albums like Johnny Mitchell's Blue or Nick Drake's Pink Moon. I mean, I don't put this album on to get my juices going. You know, I, it, it's to me, it's a great album to listen to from start to finish. And is there a pedal steel guitar or a fiddle? Not at all. No, no I mean, it really oh. sets it apart. Yeah. But but I, I, I'll, I'll disagree slightly in the sense that I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of it being one of like an album you're describing. But I, I don't know. We talked earlier about how do you how do you record a song that was recorded by the, the Carter family and have it not be a country album? You know, I mean, this is a, this is a country album, uh, it, it, but it's just in the same way, obviously not a concept in the way this is, but the same way when, when, uh, when Johnny Cash started recording for American, American, yeah. was it, you know, yeah. and he did that first Johnny Cash album, that album is very, with the exception of maybe one song on it, very mellow, very dark, but it's a country album, but it's I, not, it's not there's not I don't think there's a steel guitar on that album. I think um, that that what happened here is he's jumping back in time and he leaps over all of Nashville and lands back to a truer sound that existed before that Nashville factory got uh, revved up. It's yeah. not as bad as it is now. It's absolutely unbearable now. Yeah. But uh, it was I mean, there was a lot of uh, people trying to imitate a sound that they had heard before and that had been proven popular and they're trying to do it again. And Willie was in all of that. And he was, he was extremely successful songwriter participating in that. And he yeah. fi finally got tired of it. And uh, I'll ask you two guys a question. What did Davy Crockett say? The, uh, you all uh, may you go, all to, go hell. to hell. I will I go, go to Texas. Go to Texas. <laughs> but he was living in Tennessee. <laughs> and I was thinking about this. I mean, redheaded stranger is more than anything the album that said you can say you all may go to hell i'm going to texas to nashville yeah. 
and then it paid off. And he came to Austin. And uh, if you've been to Austin lately, we're talking about a completely different town that doesn't exist anymore. We're talking about people who made a living chopping cedar in the hill country for fence posts and uh, would uh, sleep in their pickup trucks and were hippies and cowboys. And they would go to the Armadillo World Headquarters and listen to this weird combo of country music. And uh, there'd be Commander Cody and then Willie Nelson. It was such a weird environment. They had uh, Goat Ropers Need Love 2 bumper stickers. Right next <laughs> to the Oak Willie's Head Shop bunk- bumper sticker. It said, uh, Oh, yeah. Gosh, remember, uh, Onward Through the Fog. I remember my mom saw that bumper sticker and she goes, I just love the spirit of that. <laughs> you may not know where you're going. You, you just plow through that fog and you just keep going. You live by faith. And I said, that's Mom, awesome. that's a head shop. <laughs> That's awesome. What's a head shop? <laughs> but that's the Austin that Willie Nelson found when he left mm-hmm. when he left um, Nashville, and this is the explosion of the uh, cosmic country or outlaw country. A but, lot of the best country music that ever came out was was right in the spirit of this album. This album stands out so much from anything that was going on at the time from anything that was you know popular i mean this song had this album had a number one hit on it right um there wasn't there wasn't any other country artist making an album like this and we talked briefly about you know waylon jennings and his kind of the attitude he had and even the other stuff i mean commander cody and that stuff it's all part of the same stew but this is this is a just different uh it's you entirely know. different, and there's some real big reasons that it's different. And I, I, this is maybe premature to bring it up right now, but there's no other person I can think of where other artists, recording artists, where the guitar stays the same for 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can't talk about Willie Nelson about, without talking about his guitar trigger. Right. And um, that guitar is what made it possible for him to do such a stripped down album where you really could take. I mean, I love hearing Bobby play. I think it's nice that his sister gets a chance to play, even though she's not that good. And <laughs> she, but would it be good if she was? Good? What if you put Roy Bitten on this album? You could have destroyed uh. it with one. <laughs> She you sounds could, like when she's playing honky tonk music, like you'd expect to hear yeah. in a saloon. It sounds like a, a very limited uh, piano player she that might a, be playing in a saloon. She is a barrel house player. I mean, there's just it, and uh, it doesn't require a lot of skill, but it's it's a lot of fun. But but Doug, you make a point that that the, uh, as much as Willie's sound and style is his voice and his phrasing or whatever you don't have willie without that the guitar and the way he plays it yeah and and um i tried to think today about who else has a guitar we're not talking about a situation with bb king and lucille where he has well this is lucille 13 or something he keeps going through willie nelson has had one guitar since uh the, the early 70s, uh, it's it's a he had he was given a Baldwin guitar to promote the guitar and a drunk stepped on it at Flores Country Store just north of San Antonio. And he tried to get it fixed and they went out and bought him a Martin 
a classical guitar and he took the strange bridge pickup off of that Baldwin guitar and put it on this new guitar that all kinds of people have signed. Uh, uh, yeah. Leon Russell was the first one to sign it. Leon Ru Russell asked Willie Nelson to sign his guitar and Willie goes, why do you want me to do that? It will, it will hurt its value. And he goes, no, it won't. <laughs> 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 and then w Willie thought about it. And he goes, Oh, you're right. Well, you have to sign mine too. <laughs> And That's after funny. that, everybody started signing Trigger. But if you yeah. go to a Willie Nelson show, um, half the yeah, show the is the watching him play guitar. And I, yeah. Tony, why don't you talk a little bit about the uh, influence that, in, that caused Willis, Willie to uh, play the way he plays? Well, I'll, I'll talk briefly about it, but I, you know, you guys can jump in too. Willie was a, a giant Django Reinhardt fan, huge. And for those of you who don't know who he is, he was a guitarist that played in in uh, in the Hot Club, I believe Hot Club of Paris. Was that the name of the band? Yeah. Um, and uh, and and they played this kind of uh, jazz swing, gypsy gypsy music. Yeah, but it, it has it has what I I mean, maybe just because of hindsight, it has what has a very sort of uh, Western swingy feel to it as it well. Does. You know, it really um, does. Even and, though he and, didn't know that's what he was doing. Right. right, right. <laughs> Even though it's, everything is very percussive, there's a lot of chord changes. It, everything's very fast. I mean, you're, you're looking is at there like, anything peculiar about Django that anyone wants to bring up. He's missing what? Two fingers. Well, yeah. they're there, but he can't use them. They were destroyed yeah. in a fire. So, And we're not talking, this is important, we're not talking about the hand that holds the pick. Right. We're talking yeah. about the hand that works the neck. And he's right. doing that with two fingers. Yeah, and, and he's and if you haven't listened to him, I mean, the great thing about the age we live in, there's a lot of not, things not so great, but the great thing about the age we live in is you can just dial up a video of him playing from 1934, um, and you know, and it's just incredible to watch. Yeah, it's it right is. there at your finger fingertips. And yeah. even if you only have two fingers. Exactly. Um, and you will never watch a, uh, you'll never see Willie Nelson talking about his guitar style without bringing up Django. Django. He's, right. uh, but please go download a video of Django and watch him play with those two fingers. It's it's absolutely amazing. And it sounds incredible too. And yeah, I saw, I saw an interview with Willie Nelson. He said that he would have been that good of a guitar player if he didn't have the extra fingers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doug and Tony, let's get into the album now. Um, the first song kind of introduces the whole theme of the album, Time of the Preacher. It was the time of the preacher When the story began Of the choice of a lady Love of a man. I loved her so dearly. That's actually a song Willie wrote. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we talk about it real quick, I think it's interesting that this album moves between first and third person narratives. And this is a third person narrative about what's going on that Willie wrote. But anyway, I just wanted to chime that in because it's kind of interesting how it does that. He starts talking about as the narrator. He's kind of the the chorus, I guess. Right. In yeah. The, yeah. In this 
Oh, he's so his own parts. chorus, and then uh, it goes to first person. A lot of the first person stuff is by necessity, yeah, by yeah. the fact that he's picking tunes that were written by other people that had no idea they would be put to this end eventually. That is true, but they work. Oh, that's what's amazing. That's what's so cool about it is yeah. how well it works. So the time of the preachers just setting the mood. Um, and I, you know, it's just another thing I want to real quick. I want to say about this. It kind of reminds me of how he sets the moods in in uh, phases and stages. You know, he, he mm-hmm. it, I think he's bringing that over from phases and stages where he kind of introduces what the album's going to be about. And right, because um, that was his that was his first concept album. Although it wasn't a narrative concept album like this, it was more thematic about the divorce and breaking yeah. up or whatever. But yeah. And the time of the preacher keeps reappearing to uh, patch things together. It's very, <laughs> very effective. And I can still hear my mom imitating it going, don't cross them. Don't boss them. <laughs> can I, can I just can I just say that that the the line that line that always gets me in this song about screams like a panther in the middle of the night. I mean, that if there is a better line to describe the utter devastation this guy is feeling than that line i don't know what it is that line is incredible that's That's an incredible line and you know i see so many people that when i was doing the research for this they all mention that powerful Mm -hmm. line it's it's so Uh, uh it's just great songwriting if you've ever heard a panther i mean you know exactly what that there's nothing that sounds like that and it just sums up in this incredible you know six or seven word line the that devast the heartbreak and devastation that guy's going through finding his wife finding out his wife is uh cheating on him i would like yeah. to point out that there is no cat called a panther it's actually a genus name that includes all cats and most of the time when people <laughs> are talking lion. about panthers they're talking about a uh, a black species of jaguar or some other cat. <laughs> I think I think Willie's probably talking about a mountain lion. That's what a, I cougar. Think. a cougar. That's uh, for the children out there. That word used to mean something different. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, although I mean, this cat. wife of his could be a cougar. We don't know the age of the guy she's that's fooling around with. Speaking that, of what, fooling around, uh, we've got uh, Willie coming home to find out his wife is gone. So the next song on this album is Couldn't Believe no It Was True. To greet me, no voice call my name. And I couldn't believe it was true, oh Lord. Couldn't believe it was true. And my eyes filled with tears. And I must have aged ten years. And I couldn't believe it was true. This is actually an Eddie Arnold And it's a great. I love this song, and I love the way I he do does it. And mm-hmm. and you should and you should go back if you can. And I don't know if Jam, you can pop it in here a little bit of the original Eddie Arnold and the Tennessee Plowboys from 1947. But it sound it's great, but it sounds so different. It's just it swings yeah. like songs did in 47. I couldn't believe it was true. Oh Lord, I couldn't believe it was true. My eyes fill with tears. I must have aged in years. I couldn't believe. Whereas Willie makes this song, you know, just just about just exactly what it. Oh, what it's he, just what it's bitter like, as hell. Yeah. Oh yeah. He could not have written a better song to stick in this spot. My eyes filled with tears. I must have aged ten years. Yeah. I mean, 
<laughs> but the, I mean, the thing that not to sound obvious here, but the thing is that you're dealing with a guy who's so in love with his wife. I mean, this isn't just someone who's dealing with a betrayal. This is a, this is something where this is utterly destroys this guy and changes the course of his life forever. I know. You know? Yeah. He's a, he's a preacher. He's, yeah. he's a preacher and he's, he goes down, he starts <laughs> gunning down. Yeah. Just like JM's dad. How many people does your dad shoot, Jay? Not real good for I them. don't think he's a Methodist. <laughs> who who the think, redheaded stranger? I think he's a Baptist. That's it. That's it. They're, they're all, That's Baptists it. are always a little grumpy anyway. I think it's that lack of dancing. Well, here comes the, he here comes the, uh, oh, he does dance in this album, though. So maybe, so maybe he's, not, he's Baptist. not Baptist. I guess once you start shooting people, you can dance. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's not that much worse. You know why, you know why Bab- Baptists don't have sex standing up, right? People think they're dancing. <laughs> they're dancing. <laughs> All right, then we come back to time of the preacher. This is just yeah. the chorus chiming in again to move but the story it, along. But it changes that last line. In the first version, it says the preaching is over, the lessons begun. I'm a preacher. In the year of one Now the lesson is over And the killing's begun In this version, I believe it says the lesson is over, the killing's begun. Yeah, now the lesson <laughs> is over and the killing's begun. Which, <laughs> I think we used to call that foreshadowing in English class. I think class. so. I think so. <laughs> But it's got that scream Amazing. like a panther line, which is different because in the first one, I think it's just he's 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 um you know he's thinking about yeah. it. But this, it's like it's he knows it now, you know. Yep. Yeah. So got the, well, he's, he's got to he's got to go get confirmation, and he's about to do that in Blue Rock, <laughs> Montana. Dusty and tired, and he got in room for the night. He lay there in silence with too much on his mind Still hoping that he was not right But he found them that he I love the way that he blends these I could not believe that these were two different songs Carl The dancing with the smiles on their faces and Then they eventually die with the smiles on their faces <laughs> I can't think of anyone else's voice that could pull this off as well as he does. It's it's sort of dry and removed, and yep. it just it's just perfect the way. And but, he died with this smiles on their faces. Yeah, there's no dramatic pauses or anything. Right. He's just like there it is. It is. Well, and and like, the way he delivers that line, it's because you know, uh, at least this is how I've always interpreted it. He walks in and they see him and they don't care. And they both just kind of smirk. Yeah. Oh, look who's here! And then he says, "Yeah, well, guess what?" And then he shoots him, guns him down. So it's just got that sort of matter of fact uh, uh, vengeance right. quality to it. <laughs> the fact that he cleared all the crap out and he's got it just down to the bare minimum. I think people reacted. They got tired of that full Nashville sound, and here comes something. Like JM said, it's a, it's a, it's around the campfire. 
people mm. always there was always an audience for people not liking that stuff you know he just had to tap into it and he did uh -huh. with this and yeah. the people that uh were in charge didn't want to believe that they were so wrong about the market yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so the next song the big one kind of yeah it's the big hit but it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense in the in the narrative of this album uh blue eyes crying in the rain in twilight glow I see Blue eyes cry in the rain Before we get into this, this, this is an old song written by a guy named uh, Floyd Rose and Fred, Fred Rose. Oh, I'm sorry. Floyd That's Rose's Rose. brother. Yeah. He wrote Brown Eyes uh, Crown in the uh, Wind, Blood. and it didn't do anything. <laughs> uh, originally cut by Roy Acuff. In the twilight glow I see her Blue eyes crying in the rain and Even before Willie recorded, it had been cut by innumerable artists, including Hank Williams, uh, Conway Twitty, uh, Roy Husky, yeah. Um, Lady Gaga. Gene Vincent cut a copy of it, actually. Uh, to me, maybe, maybe this is universal. I can't tell because I've been soaked in Willie my whole life. This is Willie Nelson's song that, that if someone said, what's his song, I think they would say this one. Yeah. I think you're right. And and this goes back to what we were talking about before we started. And something my grandmother used to always say, she would always say the greatest thing about Willie was he takes a song and makes it his own. Here's a song that was around for, I don't know, 30 something, maybe 40 years before he decides to record it. And, yeah. and I bet you, I bet you within three years of this song being out, everyone forgot anybody else recorded this song. I bet you could is, walk down the street and ask anyone who wrote it and everybody would say it was Willie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's but, so know, perfect with his voice and guitar. A couple of things about this, um, and I gotta give some props to my dad. Um, he used to sing this song on guitar, and he know there, there's actually a, a verse that Willie leaves out, which I think if he kept in, it would make it, it was kind of smart that he took it out because it's actually about being sad that your lover died, uh, um, and which you have to go carry on. Very well, if you shoot her. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and this this song famously, well, not famously, because I just found out of it, so it's not famously, but <laughs> but uh, Elvis, this is the last song Elvis actually evidently sang or played at his piano before he died in 77, so has that. He's got a version of it, too, out there. It's well, be not, very not, careful singing this song. That's the takeaway. Well, it's amazing. You know, don't go about to the bathroom being, right after you sing this song. You're talking about this being, being a... a, a a song that's will that's so identified with him. I mean, A Cuff Rose was the one of the premier publishing companies in in country music, and the fact that people don't know that just speaks, you know, absolute volumes about Willie's ability to take a song and just say and just own it. All right, so the next song, it is Stranger. He's riding, hiding his pain. Don't fight it, don't spite it, just wait till tomorrow, maybe he'll ride on again. 
Well, this is the song that got the whole album going, from what I read. Uh, as you said in the introduction, this is the one his wife said, well, you always play that song. Why don't you make a little story about it? <laughs> you can find you can find the original online, and it is, uh, it's like these little, it sounds like one of those little jaunty 1950s, you know, yep. like, I mean, almost yeah, like, a, like howdy, a howdy doody something. Sounds like a little bit like a Johnny Horton deal with the, with the yellow haired lady. Yeah, it really, it really is a, like a, a galloping little song. The original one, yeah, um, like a the Paul uh, the Daniel Boone song from Walt Disney and, or something. And, and, and what's interesting, <laughs> you're right, you're absolutely right. It is like that. But what's interesting about this version of it, Willie's version of it, is in the original one, it's like there's no sort of, uh, I mean, the way it's sung, there's no. Um, nuance to whether or not the woman was going to steal the horse i think it's it's she is she is going to steal it you know that's it whereas the yeah. way this is presented by willie you're not sure what's going on there does he does he act as a redheaded straight as a preacher act too too quickly and gun her down because this was yeah. his wife's horse you know and what kind of guy can't get a woman to leave his horse alone without shooting her <laughs> well, and even the line where he's with the line about him sitting in the bar and and getting her drinks because he just doesn't care anymore. Yeah, it has so much more weight to this in context and the way Willie delivers it yeah. than it does in the original one. It's almost like he's figuring out. Oh, I can't just. Who's this woman trying to take her place? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And you don't get that exactly. at all in the original version. In nope. fact. You have no idea they're even conscious of what they're singing about in their original version. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's great that Willie just kind of put that backstory behind it and it just makes it a much more interesting song. I mean, I, that's the story that, of the album. Yeah. He does that over and over again. All right. Then we got the third and last the time, time of the preacher. preacher. In the year of one, and just when you think it's all over, you think it's all over, but it's only begun. So that finish, that's this song. Just it's the last of the chorus. Well, that that's holding everything together, and it it, it gets you ready to flip the album over. Yeah, because it ends on a very sort of. Uh, uh nihilistic way of looking at things this guy is this guy is sort of i think come to terms with who he is now right he's a murderer and uh mm -hmm. and uh and he's as a preacher i'm sure there's a struggle with redemption and he's not sure he can find it so the album kind of ends with this on this low note or this side of the album ends on that low note and he's and about to really go into the depths because the next song he's going to dance well, no. Well, the thing is, yeah, but the thing is, even the title, the title of the, the instrumental that ends this album, Just As I Am, it's like he's come to that realization, yeah. you know. This is it. This is the only thing I can be now. Milligram song for all the uh, yeah. people come up for the altar call. There's a beautiful interplay 
you know, Willie takes the first part of it and then Bobby takes the second part of it. And then there's this beautiful interplay between the, the both of them where, um, Willie's just doing these really nice harmonies against that. And then Mickey Raphael comes in with a, a nice little harmonica part. That guy is a perfect harmonica player. And part of my problem with him is that he's a perfect harmonica player. It <laughs> almost sounds like a machine. Um, yeah. And if you grew up like uh, we did, he is on everybody's album in Texas. <laughs> you that his sound is B.W. Stevenson, Willie yeah. Nelson. Um, it's Towns everywhere you go. Towns. Um, the guy yeah. is everywhere. It's, yeah. it's so he, he plays at home. He has one harmonica. It's a chromatic harmonica. He doesn't. It's not a blues sound at all. He plays this mm-hmm. chromatic harmonica that they play like in Germany and Switzerland. And so it gives it this sort of double I want to say double reed sound. Yeah. It, well, it almost it sounds like an accordion. Yeah, it almost sounds like an accordion. So there's octave. Every time you play something, it's an octave. And then and when Willie went on tour with his family band in the Honeysuckle Rose days, mm-hmm. he was part of the family band. So moving on, I guess this is the first song on the second side, Denver. The bright lights of Denver are shining like diamonds. Like 10,000 jewels in the sky And it's nobody's business Where you're going This may be my favorite Willie song on the album. I just I really, really love the lyrics about the love. And um, it's, it's, I, I think it's his, his crowning achievement on this album as a writer. It's one of my favorite Willie songs ever as well. Mm-hmm. This is this is my this is my favorite song on the album too. I think. I mean, Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. It kind of take. I have to. You kind of remove that, I guess. And then the, if you do that, then this song. This is my favorite song he wrote. Um, I agree with you on that. Um, and it and and it's like you know you flip the side and you're kind of starting over. It's a story about the preacher finding his way back to yeah. some semblance of a of a redeemable life with this woman he finds and what's so great about it is the the way it parallels that blue rock montana song you know yeah it goes into the tavern they 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 smile at each other but instead it's not this smile of 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 you know um of spite that he his wife and his and her lover had it's this smile of uh hey you know like uh Two people sort of wanting to get to know each other a little bit. And then, yeah. it, of course, it ends with that great line going back to that. Instead of they died with, died with a smile on their faces, that they they danced with a smile on their faces. I mean, it's just yeah. it's, it's it's a great uh, song. And, I, a, and it'd be interesting to, to ask Willie about his connection with Denver, because I I know he had two hangouts, Austin and Denver. And I I think he probably had a special feeling about denver probably the denver then not so much the denver now but you you can tell there's some affection for that mm-hmm. all right so that leads into or the waves nice Which little is- instrumental it's essentially the two of them dancing, right? Waltzing yep. together. Yep. 
Yeah. And it, and Willie's guitar playing is great on this. Uh, yeah. It really is. It, it really and, is. You know, I think some of those interviews I watched, Willie talks about how much he's always wanted to do instrumentals. And yeah. I mean, how many other country uh, music artists are good enough on the guitar that they could play an instrumental? <laughs> There's I mean, a lot that are actually good enough, but they always want to kind of schlock it up a little bit, you know. Uh, I thought Vince Gill, uh, Buck Owens. Yeah, Buck. Mm -hmm. It's hard to think yeah. of Buck Owens not singing. <laughs> Jerry Reed and Glenn Campbell. Yeah. I mean, all those yeah. guys. Go Glenn some... Campbell. Yeah, fantastic guitarist. Those yeah. guys are great guitarists. But regardless of their talent, they don't have they don't have the soul that Willie has when he plays the guitar. Well, they don't have that sound. They don't have well, that also, sound. It's just also the feel and the soul the guy has. I mean, it's not just technical prowess. It's this, yep. the, you know, yeah. what he's able to do when he plays. A lot of it, I think, is growing up in Abbott, Texas, going to Baptist Church two times a week for yeah. most of your life. The next one is Down Yonder. Thing. I don't really have a whole lot to say about that one, yeah. Sister showcase, right? Mm -hmm. In my opinion, the story's starting to come a little bit undone. <laughs> after dinner, yeah. I mean, after, not after dinner, <laughs> after Denver, <laughs> he's starting to sense redemption. Yeah. So now it's kind of like every album or every song that Willie's really wanted to do for some time that can roughly fit into that pattern pops up yeah. on this album and all of them are fantastic songs this is yeah. a great it, it may not push the narrative ahead it may add almost nothing to the story but these are great songs and he just takes control of them they're all somebody else's song and i can't imagine anyone ever making them mean as much as he does all right so the next song one of my favorites on the album. Can I sleep in your arms? Can I sleep in your arms tonight, lady? It's so cold lying here all alone. Great song. That's all you got to say. Anybody that doesn't like it, it's a horrible person. Well, well, and and again, we sound like a broken record here, but again, he takes a song that's not his, that's been that's been around for a while, and and weaves it into this narrative. I think this one fits really well because he's 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 made a connection with this woman, and he's sitting down and he's telling her about yeah. what his wife did to him, and he's yeah. and and he's seeking forgiveness from this woman that he's met. Yep. So that he, so that he can feel that redemption that he's desiring to and feel. Healing. I oh. don't believe there's a marriage before this song, though. So we cannot. <laughs> we have to say we don't approve of this song, ladies and gentlemen. Well, do we know? Do we know if he ever actually sleeps in her arms? Well, uh, I saw the movie. It was Morgan. <laughs> Free, was it? What was it? Was Morgan it, Fairchild? Morgan Fairchild? No. Yeah. 
Was she the wife or was she the sleep in your arms tonight lady? She's got to she be was. the wife, right? Oh, she was? Anyway, oh. it's hard to believe when Morgan Fairchild really walks into her room and you're going, no way this would ever happen in real life. She's going, oh, yeah, come here, old man. Get right next to me. So I'm just going to say, do not watch the movie before you listen to this or ever. <laughs> Never watch it. Ever. Just don't ever watch the movie because it's going to confuse the hell out of you. Oh, and it's it, not good. I mean, there's a lot a of stuff movie. on it. Name a, name, a name a country album that resulted in a decent movie. <laughs> Done. Done. What uh, maybe uh what is it uh, take this job and shove it maybe that. <laughs> <laughs> or the Har- Harper Valley PK. Every, yeah, Harper Valley that's every another time, one. That, every time uh, Kenny Rogers put out a song they turned it into a movie. <laughs> All right, my another one of my favorite songs on the album, Remember Me. Remember me when the candlelights are gleaming. Remember me at the close of a long, long day, and it would be so it, sweet. It's the swingingest song on the album. It yeah. is. It's starting it's to, got, the album's starting to light up, lighten up. Yeah, yeah. And it is a great song. It is. But this, this is the one I'm not quite sure how it fits because it doesn't. He's giving up on the whole narrative. <laughs> I know. I think he's just like, uh, really, going. Okay, I've been really heavy, really heavy, really heavy, and let's just kind of have some fun everybody's dead but let's just enjoy life for a while yeah i don't care that the story's over and he's just celebrating redemption or whatever he's pretending is going on and and the next uh the next song is the perfect way to end it hands on the wheel the star right all on the bars and i'm nearly gone up in smoke now my hands on the wheel of something. Oh, it's such a great song. <laughs> it is. It sums up the whole deal. He's lost it. Yeah. Now he's got it back. Yep. And yep. Uh, he's got a lady and a boy, and they go fishing together, and they're doing simple things. And mm-hmm. it's uh, they're with a lady they both enjoy. I mean, that is that's perfect. Gallery. He wrote a masterpiece here that probably needed someone like Willie to. Uh, get the dust off of it and make it perfectly clear to everything what a wonderful song this is. Everybody knows a lady that just her company makes everything better. And right. both this old guy and this young kid, they both recognize that property in her. I feel that way when my wife is uh, out of the joint when she comes and hangs out. <laughs> that will be funny if someday she does end up in jail and we can say, see? <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to the last song on the album, the instrumental, Bandera. Very nice it, send-off. It, it's really great. I mean, this, you know, again, talking about the concept album thing and how well he does this, both sides end with an instrumental, um, almost like, you know, the credits are rolling or whatever type of thing, fit, fits well with the story. 
I, it's just, it, it really is amazing that this guy was able to do this with and piece it together and make it sound as cohesive as it does when there's so many other people who are writing stuff at the same time this is coming out and putting like putting an effort into it and it's and they're just absolute messes in terms of the narrative yeah yeah this seems so absolutely uh natural and easy for him what is bandera it's the cowboy capital of texas actually cowboy capital of the world i think according to bandera and it's a hill country town north of san antonio it's not far from Floor's country store where his guitar got stepped on. So um, I think it's worth talking about um, that in in on October fourth, nineteen seventy six, Willie did this album in its entirety for Austin City Limits. He oh. record. I mean, he said. I mean, this this tells you something about the the mood and the and where this where Austin was at the time that he went. This was the I think the second season. It was the opener. It was the the uh, opening show for the second season of that show, and he actually played the the pilot for that season as, or for that show as well. So he's got a connection to the place. But the fact that he that that's what he does is he doesn't play anything else. He sits down and he or he goes on stage and he he and his his band play this album in its entirety, and that's what they broadcast. And you can watch it. It's great. It's on YouTube. It's fantastic. I've watched it. I've watched it twice in the last week. It's just it's it's uh, it's fascinating to watch. All right. Well, that's our uh, review of Willie Nelson's Redheaded Stranger. Hope you guys will check that one out. Tony. Usually at the end of these things, you have a. Recommendation for us. Do you have such a recommendation for us tonight? Uh, yeah, JM, I do. I, I don't want to bring us down or anything. I've I've talked uh, I've talked in the past about and I've recommended a Longriders album. Um, probably the first band that I felt was kind of my own that I discovered. Not too many people knew, and and I was I was sort of the person spreading the gospel to anyone that was you know any other 15 year olds around that cared to listen to them. Um, I woke up yesterday morning and uh, had a note. I followed them on, on band camp and got a note that the bassist Tom Stevens had passed away suddenly. And uh, which just broke my heart. Um, I was able to see them play last year. So I think it's the last time they probably performed. So I was really lucky in that regard, but he, um, when the band broke up the first time in the, in the late eighties, um, he continued to make music. They all did to a certain extent, but he continued to make music on his own and put out albums. And, and I want to just recommend an album he put out in, in I think 2006, 2007 called home. If you like the long riders, you're gonna like this. It has that kind of birds, flying burrito brothers, Americana feel to it. Uh, the, the song, some of the songs on it are just fantastic. There's a song called Belladonna that is great. There's a song, a song called In the Basement that I just love. Um, I really, you know, this is a guy who deserved uh, to have a bigger career, both with the band and, and outside of it. So I really recommend listening to this. I think both of you guys will really like it a lot. And anyone who listens to this podcast that they like that kind of music will really, really like that. And I just I couldn't highly recommend it more. 
Well, that's it for t- tonight's show. Um, and before we talk about uh, next week's show, we just want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in, subscribing, and passing the word on about our podcast. Uh, thanks to your efforts, we have hit more than 1,100 downloads in just inside three months. Just can't thank you folks enough. Next week, we'll be looking at the ultimate album band, Rush, and their album from 1980, Permanent Waves. Please give us a shout out on Facebook and look us up on Spotify or your favorite podcast platform. I think we're on iHeartRadio now. We're also on Twitter these days at Tapping Vinyl. You can also email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. Leave us a note or tell us what albums you'd like us to take a look at. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle. Me, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, your humble producer. And remember, don't boss them, don't cross them. <laughs>